Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kami Amarabian, joined by Jack Shields, and it is Bedlam Week. We have a very special guest from Cowboys Ride for Free, our affiliate over in Stillwater. Joel, I believe they've actually temporarily changed their name over really there. oh yeah what is it oh, now joel we, we are currently uh we are currently the american horse pirates the american horse pirate you know horse pirates horse pirates in what i i saw something on twitter how did that come about so i think it was uh, it was just some random tweet that came across about this guy was sitting in his norwegian class or whatever and the girl or some norwegian you know person in his class couldn't think of what a cowboy was so they said american horse pirate and so we, we're just running with it at this point that's amazing, man. That's incredible. Apt description, though. I mean, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's pretty fitting, honestly. It works. The horse, the horse pirate. Why do I keep on saying horse pirate? <laughs> what, what is wrong with me? The horse pirate. You know, that's 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 that that sounds like something Mike Leach would be really into. Oh yeah. Like oh, super into. It. <laughs> but all right, man. Bedlam is this Saturday. We can't ignore it. Oklahoma's played two trash opponents in a row with a bye. Uh, it's 6.30, primetime on ABC. College game day is going to be there. Uh, you know, the line started at 10. Now it's already down to 7. It's shrunk really quickly. The over-under is at 59 and a half. And so let's just get this one out of the way, Joel. Tylen Wallace, he's still questionable. And I'm sure we won't really know anything official until sometime close to kickoff. If forced to answer... What would you say right now is a percentage chance that he indeed plays on Saturday and maybe what percentage he might go at? Uh, I think it's a hundred percent that he's going to play. He pro- and realistically, he probably could have played against Kansas state, but he would have been playing it 75, 80%. If I had to guess, he's still dressed out. He was going through warmups, but he was kind of going through the motions. I think he dressed in like almost like a break glass in case of emergency sort of situation. Like if somebody else went down or the offense was really, really sputtering, and he could go in and make a couple of plays. I think the only play he went in for was he was on the hands team on uh, Kansas State's mm-hmm. onside kick and knocked the ball out of bounds. That was the only time he touched the field. But I think that's it was more precautionary than anything, get him healthy and get you go into the bye week, and then you got Bedlam. And I, I, I would expect him to go absolutely. I, I'd imagine it's kind of the same scenario that you guys are in with Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner. Like, they're questionable or probable, but I, I would venture to guess they're going to play, like no doubt about it. Now, Oklahoma State's offensive line 
this offseason experienced a considerable amount of unexpected attrition and understandably the unit has struggled a bit as a result um which areas of the offensive line like which positions in particular along the offensive line have been a strength at this point and where have been where have we seen the most glaring weaknesses it's kind of i mean all season Oklahoma State has had to play musical chairs with the offensive line you go immediately into the season and your starting left tackle goes down and your starting right guard goes down in the first game and you got to make you got to shift things around our center went down for a little while our left tackle went into, it's been it's been ridiculous all season it was a unit that we knew was going to be a weakness and it's obviously reared its head but it's not like they've necessarily been bad it's just they've had to shift so many things around that at some point you just kind of throw your hands up and it's just like, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do when you're dealing with that many injuries. Like Tevin Jenkins, our right tackle, mm. he's had to kick over the left tackle a couple of times that kick inside. Uh, he, he's probably our, he's our best offensive lineman bar none, but he got hurt pretty early on in the Kansas state game, got his knee taken out and he went out and then three plays later, his backup got hurt and came limping off and he had to come back into the game against Kansas state and fought through it. And I think he got a couple of pancakes in the second half. So he still balled out pretty well for him. Uh, so I, I'd say Tevin, if, if you're going to look at someone 73, Tevin Jenkins is our best guy. If he's one at 100%, uh, the right side of the offensive line is pretty solidified there at left guard, Josh Sills. He was, he's a grad two year graduate transfer from West Virginia. He's been an immediate leader and really solid interior offensive lineman for Oklahoma state. Now he's had to kick out to left tackle the last couple of games with Jake Springfield going out in the Texas game. He struggles a little bit on the outside. I don't know the severity of the injury to Jake Springfield, if he's going to be able to come back after, I think, three weeks now, uh, you know, injured. If he's able to go, then you kick Josh Sills back inside. It's a little bit more of a strength, and the offensive line feels a little bit more solidified. It's just been tough. There's been no continuity at the position this year, and it's been a real issue. And so staying on the offensive side of the ball, the Cowboys clearly really aren't in a need for skill positions whatsoever. I mean, they brought back Chuba Hubbard, Sanders, Alan Wallace. But who else has really stood out on offense for the Cowboys this fall? I would definitely look at number zero in the backfield, Chuba Hubbard's battery mate back there, L.D. Brown. Like him a lot. Yeah. Last year, he, to, to just put it as simply as I can, as well as he was a liability. He offered nothing to, you know, counter what Chuba Hubbard was doing. Obviously, Chuba Hubbard was otherworldly last year. He really didn't need another running back, if we're being totally honest. But when he came into the game, th there was no running threat. It was a very obvious that Oklahoma State was going to throw the ball. Outside of one big run against Baylor, mm -hmm. he offered absolutely nothing to the offense. He came in immediately this year. And when Chuba struggled at the beginning of the year, LD really stepped up in the West Virginia and the Tulsa game and really ultimately helped Oklahoma State win those games. Chuba Hubbard came into that. I'm pretty sure he came into the K-State game banged up. He only had five or six carries. And then LD comes in. He was actually supposed to be out, plays in the game, goes 15 carries for 110 yards and really sparked mm -hmm. the offense. Uh, he's been a huge part of the offense this year. And, you know, with, with Chuba's health still kind of up in the air, we really don't know anything. Oklahoma State, I don't know how OU is, but Oklahoma State's really tight-lipped about any sort of injury. And we really don't know anything until <laughs> warm-ups when everybody starts running out and they go, oh, where is this guy? Well, he's hurt. You know, we, we really don't know. But if he's healthy, you have a really good tandem in the backfield, helping out Spencer Sanders a little bit. But L.D. Brown has definitely been the guy this year that's impressed me and kind of shut me up a little bit after some of the things that I said about him last year. Yeah, Lincoln Riley likes to call everything, whether it's a bruise or an ACL tear, a lower leg or injury. So, yeah, it's, it's really tough pickings when you're trying to see who's actually going to play.
Yeah, no doubt about it. I, th- I think Mike Gundy even says the day-to-day, and I love <laughs> I love day-to-day as an injury because it's like, aren't we all? Yeah, for real. <laughs> now, defensively, Jim Knowles' defense doesn't seem to have any weaknesses. With that in mind, what would you say is this group's biggest area of strength? I think it's just leadership. It's just continuity. Uh, you have a linebacking core that has four seniors with Amen Ogbongamiga, Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper, Calvin Bundage. You know, you have three, you know guys that have played years and years and years, tons of snaps. I, I think the biggest, uh, as much as I love those guys, I would say now that I'm thinking about it, the defensive backs for sure have, have been a strength for Oklahoma State this season. You have not only one of the best uh, safety tandems in the league, but in the country in Colby Harbell Peel and Trey Sterling. Trey Sterling's been awesome. Uh, he was left off a couple of watch lists this year for the Thorpe Award. Wouldn't surprise me if we see him on a couple of those here pretty soon. Harville Peel as well, should he be healthy. He didn't play in the Kansas State game. I think he went out with a concussion in the Texas game, but, you know, God willing, he should be back. Tanner McAllister has stepped in really nicely this year after mostly being a special teamer the last couple of years. And then you have Rodarius Williams, uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, and Christian Holmes on the outside. Those guys are able to play man-to-man coverage on the outside and kind of put guys on islands because of the ability of Trey Sterling and Colby Harville Peel to both play the run and the pass, they can drop down into zones. You have enough, you know, enough athleticism in the linebacking core. Pass rush is good. The, it's very rare, and I can't remember the last time. You know, I'm I'm pretty on 24, but I can't imagine the last. I can't think of the last time I ever said yes. Oklahoma State's defense won them that game, and they've had to at times with just the way the offense has struggled. But it is a unit of strength and one of the best in the country, truly. And, you know, what I thought was interesting when looking at all the Big 12 teams coming into this fall, not knowing if the season was even going to happen, that was a fun trip. Um, I was I looked at Oklahoma State's depth chart, and I saw the defense. Holy crap, they were returning so many guys from a year ago, and that doesn't even that, – that, that's just starters. That's not guys in, on just twos and threes on the depth chart. And I noticed early on, you know, really, especially the defense had really – really been really playing well this year and so sticking with them what particular player um should OU fans maybe keep an eye on this Saturday that you would deem as a game changer I would definitely say Trace Ford uh he's sophomore true sophomore at Edmond Santa Fe he plays edge he plays linebacker he'll drop back into coverage he'll blitz you know he's kind of a Swiss army knife on the you know on the edge there for Oklahoma State uh Jim Knowles loves to dial him up pressure especially on third down uh, he and Calvin Bundage, uh, Oklahoma State's main third down set that you'll see a lot of on, you know, obvious passing downs. You'll have Calvin Bundage on one side and Trace Ford, and it's just run like a bat out of hell and go get the quarterback. And that more often than not, they've been able to do that. I think Trace Ford has four or five sacks on the year. Calvin Bundage has five. Uh, as kind of undersized guys being able to beat some of those, you know, bigger tackles uh, has been huge for this defense. But I would say Trace Ford has been a guy that seems to make at least one or two game-changing plays. The stat book and the box score may kind of lie to you at the end of the game. Like he's had games where it's just two or three tackles, maybe, you know, maybe one for loss and a sack, but it feels like he's in on every play, at least getting pressure, getting the quarterback out of structure or causing, a, you know, at least getting a hit in the backfield that allows the rest of this team to come and gang tackle. And Bundage is a Santa Fe guy too, right? He is. Yeah, we got two Edmund Santa Fe guys nice. going, just wreaking awesome. havoc. Now, Joel, before we get to the rapid fire, What's your score prediction, and what is your level of confidence in an Oklahoma State victory this week? Can I really have a level of confidence considering the history of this rivalry? I mean, I, I hate to be that guy because I know your listeners are going to go, oh, Oklahoma State, little brother, bullshit, whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, I just – I can't 
I, I can't realistically go into this game and fully, you know, believe in confidence that Oklahoma State's going to win this game. And do I hope to be wrong? I mean, absolutely. But I think Oklahoma State's offense has struggled enough that I don't know if they're going to be able – if, you know, if the defense starts to struggle a little bit, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with Oklahoma in a shootout. And Oklahoma, State, and Oklahoma is really good in those types of games, and they have been forever, even more so with Lincoln Riley. Uh, I'm going to go – I've been kind of thinking about this. But I'm probably going to go something like 31-23 OU. I, I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to keep it competitive, but I think OU is going to be able to stay just one possession ahead. You know, and I, I'm kind of accounting for a couple of turnovers from Spencer Sanders. Mm. He has a very he, – he is incredibly turnover prone. I mean, the offense is so good with him when they're clicking. He has the most upside of any Oklahoma State quarterback I've ever seen. But his lack of care – you know, his lack of care with the ball is a problem. And I just don't foresee that changing. I think it's just kind of who he is at this point. And I think that ends up being the detriment of, of the game at this point. All right, Joel, you ready for the rapid fire? Let's go for it. All right. What's your go-to drink at Murphy's? See, I don't go to Murphy's. I think Murphy's is incredibly overrated. Like, I love really? the Neon Palms. It's super cool. That's like, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Like, you, you, go to, you go on your 21st birthday, you get a picture of the Neon Palms, but it's way too overcrowded. The wells are super, like, it's just not, it's not that great. But if I'm going to go to Murphy's, I get, like, a whiskey sour and just hang out. But College go. Bar across the street is my go-to. Okay, gotcha. Now, what is your go-to order at Coney Island? Oh, you get cheese tots and a bacon onion cheeseburger. And bacon it, onion cheeseburger. I'm it's liking bomb. that. Yes, mm. like that. And it's one of those like hey. the burger, like it's greasy, but it's not like way. It's not huge. It's now like is, a, almost like a little bit bigger than a slider. So it's okay. like a perfect like one in the morning. I've had I've, I've had a few drinks, and this will help kind of soak everything up a little bit. But it that's the go-to right there. Perfect. Now is this like an Oklahoma onion burger style thing? No, it's just got like caramelized onions on top. It's not like pressing okay, in the gotcha. Yeah. Well, it still sounds like a perfect hangover cure. I'm, I'm oh my god, that. yes. Who's your favorite OSU alum outside of sports? Hmm. Outside of sports, I mean, it's hard not to go with Garth Brooks. Yeah, I, I freaking mean, love Garth Brooks. Yeah, say that. I mean, there, there's <laughs> no. I mean, I'm sure that I'm forgetting somebody somewhere, but I mean greatest you know greatest selling country singer of all time like it's kind of hard to, to go against that i i can fully respect that yeah garth is cool man yeah he is he is granted he i'm i'm not gonna go on a rant here he is partially responsible for the current pop country tender <laughs> that that's I'm, fair that's I'm, fair. I'm not gonna ramble about that i've rambled about that enough on this podcast but anyway i do respect garth brooks he has some bangers I will chris Gaines that. died for his sins that's, yes he did yes yeah. that is correct um, now, will Cade Cunningham win Big 12 Player of the Year this season? I think that's a pretty fair bet. Um, I, I'm really high, and I'm really excited on Oklahoma State basketball this season. I, you know, When you get the number one player in the country, obviously there's a ton of hype, but the dudes that are around Cade Cunningham are very, are very good as well in their own right. I don't think this is a Ben Simmons at LSU situation where it's Ben Simmons and then a bunch of dudes you've never heard of. Mm. That, you know, you still got Isaac Likely. Rondell Walker out of uh, Putnam City West. You know, you got you got enough guys there that uh, are really talented. They're you know they're not going to be Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas like, but I still think they're going to finish in easily the top half of the conference and compete for that top three. But they're, they're a legit tournament team, and Kate Cunningham is. I think he's a pretty good shot to win Big Twelve Player of the Year. Who is your favorite Oklahoma Sooner of all time? Hmm. I'll go Samaj P. Ryan. 
Okay. That's a good just a, just a solid humble dude. Like I just I, I respect I respect him for sure. There we go. Now now how did you feel about the Neil? Oh yeah, th- I've always wondered that, but I've never okay. asked anybody. Okay, so I, I think conflicting response. Yeah. I think it's overblown for the most part. I mean, at the time I was really pissed off. I'm like, just score. Come on, man. Just, <laughs> just come on. Just score. Like just end our misery. Let's get out of here. But I it it is the respectful football thing to do. Like the game was well in hand. Just go, you know, I'm I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me. I don't look back on that like with some vengeance. Like I don't care. The man's like 20-something years old, but looks like a six-year-old grandfather. I respect the hell out of him, too. Oh, no. Yeah. When he came on campus at OU for a visit. Looked like a grown-ass man. Almost dad. They yeah. literally did. That was yeah. terrifying. It was, like, was kind of like the, how Leonard Fournette looked as a freshman at LSU. <laughs> like, he looked like he was a 35-year-old, you know, going back and playing college football. Like, that's how P. Ryan always looked on the field. Like, in the workout room, calling people young blood and stuff like that. Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, Joel, I'm gonna let's close this out by asking you to say one nice thing about the University of Oklahoma. One nice thing. I mean, y'all have a. Uh, <laughs> no, I promise I'm not. I'm not being an asshole and like I can't say anything nice about Norman. I, I promise. Uh, y'all got a really good baseball facility. I'll say that. Okay. The softball uh, ones are better. Yeah, that fair enough. <laughs> okay, I I do have a question for you guys before we get out okay. of here, if I okay. if I may. So this is something Philip and I have wanted to see in Bedlam for a really long time. How would y'all feel about crimson versus orange, like the Giddy uniform, up. like oh home, home oh, and home? God. Yes. Okay. Hundred percent. Man, see, I'm 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 conflicted on it. I feel like we it's a great did basketball. A lot. See, basketball that, does it. Football they, they does did. it. Or, uh, or baseball does it. Like, yeah, I think it would be really cool. Like, even I feel like they just do it once. Yeah, I feel like it'd be a good idea. I wonder though if they it would play second fiddle to the idea of Oklahoma wearing crimson and Texas wearing burnt orange, in comparison to uh, what they have with Oklahoma State in Bedlam. I'm I'm really curious as far as you know which rivalry because I think it'll happen at some point. I'm curious which one does it first. I would I would bet Bedlam does it first. I think Bedlam would. Do, I think Texas is too prideful to put their yes. burnt orange up against against OU I think that might be correct it's a good question what what jerseys is Oklahoma State wearing this weekend do we know uh we don't know until like an hour and a half before the game they don't reveal it (laughs) when they come out on the field they do do the walk and then they do like the locker room shot right after like right after that that. so it's like an it's like an hour and a half before the game it's always kind of something cool to look forward to I know someone will get really butthurt about it but I always think it's cool to that Oklahoma State always does something a little yeah. bit different. They've done some really cool stuff this mm-hmm. year, like the the Curse of Cowboys, like the basketball uniform they wore on the helmets against Kansas State. That was my favorite helmet that I've seen in recent years, so that was kind of cool. I don't expect them to do anything too crazy for Bedlam. I wouldn't expect something really out there. Uh, but it, it's always a, a little a bit of a fun thing to see. Now, do you, do you think that OU will do their – alternate i don't know what they call them but the like the rough rider no not for bedlam no not for bedlam typically they they would never do well the uh, i i say they would never do it for a rivalry game but they did do it against conference championship game big 12 championship right and it looked pretty damn clean frankly yeah but uh no i I don't think they'd do it for bedlam usually they do one home game and one away game and they've already done it for a home game Okay. So and they o- they always save an alternate for West Virginia. They always save yeah, an alternate West for West Virginia. Virginia. Gets it every That's time. Odd. Yeah. It's real strange. Very odd. I'm hoping the Oklahoma State comes out in like uh, 
traditional um, white with but the Rashawn Woods jersey is not like what they have now. I, I really like I those. I love the Barry Sanders see, one. Oh, those two. Those two, you know, yeah. I could see them going uh, black, white, orange like they did in mm. 18 and 14. In 14, like I, Mike Gundy's really weird, and this team is really weird about like wearing stuff like with good kind of good juju in it, I guess. Like mm. you won in 14, so then they wore it in 18. Um, that, I remember they wore like the bright or like the orange chrome helmets with like a giant pistol peed on them for like four games in a row because they went on a winning streak. So it's just one of those things that we'll see sometimes like whenever they play really well in a uniform, they'll continue to wear it. Well, all right, guys, we're going to go to a break for our sponsors, but not before we thank Joel for joining the podcast. Joel, thank you so much for coming on, talking cowboy stuff, shooting the shit. Uh, tell our listeners and to everybody else where they can find your stuff at. You can follow me at JT Penfield. I obviously tweet a lot about Oklahoma State, but I tweet a lot about baseball and other stuff. If you just like sports in general, give me a follow. Uh, you can follow Cowboys RFF at Cowboys RFF if you feel like following some Oklahoma State stuff as the year rolls on. Cheers, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining and I appreciate you. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. All right, Jack. So we just had Joel on from Cowboys Ride for Free, or what is it, American Horse Pirates? American Horse Pirates. Mm. Sounds like a good, like a, a, no, not a good, a, a, a bad horror movie, too. Yeah, like sort of like Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. Sort of that realm. Get these motherfucking horse pirates off my fucking carriage. Something no. like that. No, I saw Snakes on the Plane in theaters when it <laughs> came out, like the midnight premiere oh, at I, Quail Springs Mall. Dang. How'd that yeah. go? It was wild. Like, uh, everyone there, it was a weird, like, viral movie uh-huh. situation where, like... Especially when Sam, Samuel Adams says the thing. Yeah, like, basically people... Or Jackson, Sam Adams is a beer. What the Leading hell? up, like, they had, like, focus groups leading up to the thing, like, <laughs> online where people would give suggestions like fans would like, and that basically they suggested like more cursing for Samuel L. Jackson and stuff like that. And that's where that quote came from. Yeah. Is basically because of that suggestion. And basically all of the people in the theater knew a lot of what was about to happen. Mm -hmm. And they were like hissing throughout the movie and stuff like that. It was like, it was kind of like what you hear about like Rocky horror picture show, like back in the day, like the audience participation, It, it was surreal. Quail Springs Mall, huh? Quail Springs Mall and probably, what, like, 06, probably? I was a sophomore in high school, I think. Yeah, I I guess I was a senior. Wow. Yeah, wild. That's (laughs) wild. Hey, but hey, uh, we're not pouring one out for the homie, but we are are wishing uh, Steve-O to get better. Uh, My man has, uh, likely has the the COVID, so he's in, he's in, He's in good spirits. He's just feeling a little sore and having some mild symptoms, he says. So we hope he gets better. Um, he almost came on the podcast today, and we decided that might not be a good idea. Yeah, just keep drinking that Pedialyte, Steve-O. Pedialyte for sure, for sure. And and body armor. I'm making the switch officially from Gatorade to body armor. I've never had body armor. Oh, my gosh. 
A, it, it tastes better. Uh, B, uh, there, it actually gives you like, of course it has a, probably a little bit more sugar in it, but it gives, it's like a multivitamin of sorts. It gives you a ton of other vitamins, not just like hydration. It's actually really good. And the flavors are pretty wonderful too. So I would recommend like really any of them. The fruit punch tastes like a Capri Sun and it's wonderful. Okay, so it automatically tastes way better than a Pedialyte. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, it does. It does. And it has like like zinc and stuff like that. It's good for your immune system. So why wouldn't you load up on body armor during a pandemic? Like, of course, there's good news about vaccines and all that stuff, but you can uh, you can help yourself out till March, right? Oh, of course, of course. But uh, what do you what 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 do we think about what Joel? Um, you know, just said, what, what, how do we feel about the Cowboys, especially after he talked about the offense, the defense, Tylen Wallace's issues, uh, not Tylen, I always keep on, uh, Sanders issues, and then Tylen Wallace is actually kind of, like he said, taking a dip in production as well, um, and Chuba Hubbard is honestly kind of having way of lesser of a year than we thought he would, well, especially it, when he came back. Not- that's not Chuba's fault so of much. Of course, of course. Offensive line is just horrible, and that's you know not so much OSU's fault either. They had a bunch of weird, unexpected mm-hmm. attrition along the offensive line over the off season. But I mean, you can't help but think that Chuba, professionally, made a horrible call. Yeah, I was. I, mean, I kept on thinking. Like a, a, yeah. It seemed like a high risk, low reward yes. move at the time, mm-hmm. and now. I mean, there's no way he has helped his sock at I all. Remember, I remember he made that decision, and him he and probably Tyler. went from like a second or third rounder to maybe a fourth rounder. I think both him and Tylen Wallace lost money. I mean, well, yeah, Tylen might have made a little bit of money because Tylen is proving, you know, in spite of being banged up a little bit recently, that he still has all of it. It's just, so it's I think incredible Tylen to me. Actually, maybe benefited himself a little bit. I just remember thinking especially for running backs in the league, they're a dime a dozen now. And the, yeah, and you, you know, they don't, they don't need workhorses like they used to. They need people like Joe Mixon. They need people like Alvin Kamara, like James Conner, uh, like running backs that aren't workhorses that are very influential in the past game too. And, and, and now he's, he's come back to Oklahoma state proven not much more. And, and like you said, it's not really, to, to his fault because of the Oklahoma State offensive line issues that they've been really seeing lately, and he, he's got another another uh, tread year left tread gone from his tires and several several uh, dollars out of his pocket for the NFL draft, and so I mean about Joel, you know, how are you viewing this game right now? I mean, I feel like the biggest we're talking about Oklahoma State's offensive line. I feel like this is just a really bad matchup for Oklahoma State, honestly. Yeah. Just because they're going up against an Oklahoma defensive front that is just firing on all cylinders at this point. And just looks like, granted, they've been going up against, you know, a Texas Tech offensive line that has not looked great and, you know, going up against Kansas, but, and TCU, obviously. But, I mean, it's, you can't, look at these performances from the past three weeks or even four weeks if you go back to texas they played three and a half great quarters against texas yeah yeah for sure and without ronnie perkins without ronnie perkins and you've got to think even with the amount of talent they had a year ago do you see that unit playing that well defensively against i mean you're seeing 
the amount of quality depth on this team defensively, it's better mm-hmm. than it was a year ago. Yeah, of course. And it's it's as if Alex Grinch's vision is finally coming to fruition. You're seeing it's, them create turnovers. It's just You're incredible seeing them to see get a push yeah. up front and get create so much disruption. Oh my gosh! Not Basically, not even just the push last, up front. Nick Benito is like tops in the nation in quarterback oh pressures. Oh God, yeah, Off he's the edge. incredible, and he. I mean, it just seems like they're checking all of the boxes at this point of what Alex Grinch wants, especially and in it's that really front. exciting to see. And this is like I said, this is without. You know, they spent a lot of time without Ronnie Perkins. There's yeah. no Kenneth Murray. There's no Jalen Gallimore. There's no Parnell Motley making plays in the defensive backfield. There's no Jalen Redmond. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pretty incredible. And plus losing their top three defensive tackles from a year ago as well. Yeah. And Winfrey uh, has come in and passed with flying colors. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He's he's made himself Fantastic. some money. I mean, oh, already yeah. for Absolutely. early award looks for next year. It's just incredible. I and, just I, I don't picture things going well for Oklahoma State on on Saturday, in spite of the fact that their de- defense is just fantastic. I mean, I think Oklahoma offensively is just going to make enough plays against Oklahoma State's offense. I could see OU scoring somewhere, oh, maybe in the mid-30s. I could see 35 like, or 38. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying – I mean, in Oklahoma State's defense will make it tough for them. But, I mean, in spite of the amount of skill position talent Oklahoma State has, I just – you – I mean, you're if you're unable to counteract what Oklahoma brings with Ronnie Perkins and Nick Benito and, you know, several others who have been creating havoc up front, I just – I don't see Oklahoma State getting much of anything going on Saturday offensively. Do you think that – so looking at this game and talking about um, all the kind of factors that are up front, and you look at Alex Grinch, and you look what they've been able to do with the defensive front. You've got Nick Benito, Perrion Winfrey, LaRon Stokes when he's healthy, who hasn't, who hasn't been in, in the lineup yet. He's a starter with, you know, Perrion Winfrey, Benito. He's going to be back. And then you add in a Ronnie Perkins, and then you you can you can switch in, you know, David Aguebu, Deshaun uh, Deshaun White. I'm not a big fan of Brian Mead, but I love Brian Asamoa. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Brian Asamoa a lot. I think he's going to be a dude, especially a reliable linebacker. You saw, saw a little bit of Shane Witter against Kansas oh, yeah. as well, love and he looked it. fantastic. He looked yes. like he can contribute right away in a big game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I just look at this, and I look at you know, Oklahoma state. And maybe like you said earlier, the attrition that they're having on the offensive line and just lately, you know, and I look at that and you say, okay, okay. Oklahoma has the edge in the, in the trenches when they're on defense. And then you look at maybe how things have transpired for both sides of the ball and the both teams on the other side of the ball. When Oklahoma has the ball, Oklahoma's offensive line is getting better uh, week by week. And, you know, who knows who who knows about rumors about who's sitting out whatever but regardless if Oklahoma, let's say Oklahoma uh, even has to sit out two offensive linemen for whatever reasons you've got an all-american in Chris Murray that can go you have Andrew Rame who they love by the way he's probably going to be your starting center next year if Creed Humphrey doesn't jump to the draft and then they've got Anton Harrison who they absolutely also love so Oklahoma 
you know, Oklahoma State's great defensive front. Uh, their defensive front is wild. Uh, it's not, it doesn't look conventional. It doesn't look like what Oklahoma does. Um, but I feel like I have confidence that Oklahoma's edge on their defensive line means a lot more than maybe any sort of edge Oklahoma State might have over OU's offensive line. So I'm really intrigued about that matchup. But we can talk about that a little bit later. This is the first time college game day has been in Norman in eight years. Uh, the last time we can all forget uh, as a night for Sooner fans and Thunder fans. Um, I th- we, I'm sure you were at the game just like I was. Uh, it was a cold-ass night uh, against the Fighting Irish. And Oklahoma, of course, came up really short, not just short. Manti Teo had a – It was just a really anticlimactic yeah. affair, honestly. It, it's not Teo what you expected. A, yeah. Manti Teo had a fake girlfriend in that one. Yeah, he still believed yeah. in her at that point. Yeah, that was, and yeah, that was a weird thing. And, and then James Harden got traded, traded. Yep. during the game. You know, back God, then the man. cell signal sucked in the yeah. stadium. Oh, yeah, was very good. And so basically, all of your pings came on your phone as you were walking out of the stadium. Oh yeah, and everyone awful. collectively was like, "Fuck, yeah. we just traded James Harden for what? Kevin Martin and a." Pick or two? What? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kevin Martin no. was actually good that next season, but now <laughs> it's like terrible. <laughs> now, like all those guys, yeah, it it really hurts my heart to see Sam Presti collecting all these picks, and people are like, he's the best GM ever. But thinking years after Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden have been split up, they're still actively seeking each other out, trying to win titles with each other, makes me so angry because they yeah. could have done it for several years in a row. But <laughs> I digress. College game days in Norman, man. That's exciting as hell. I mean, it like, is exciting. It, I mean, it, obviously, it's, it's prime time. It's the it's the game for Saturday that everybody's having their eyes because, on. Because I mean, that you can't have fans there. Exactly. Obviously. So, I mean, it's not you don't have the buzz around campus and all that stuff because there's no real environment around yeah. campus for this kind of thing. But I'm hopeful, and if ESPN gets this right and has its priorities in line, they will get this right. I hope, 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 hope that they come to Norman in 2021 for the Nebraska game. Mm, that'd be good. I, even, I, I know Nebraska, awful, but I feel like what makes college football so unique is the rivalries and the pageantry. Yeah. And this is a rivalry that has been missing for a long time, and I think they'd be making a very big mistake in not highlighting that game. Yeah, and I agree. giving that additional exposure. So hopefully they do the right thing and come there in 2021, in spite of whatever else is on the schedule that week. I have no idea who yeah. else is playing. Nebraska might have a new head coach by then. Eh, head I don't coach, know. Head coach Brent Venables. That, that wouldn't be a horrible hire. But it wouldn't be a horrible hire, especially in the Big Ten. I think he'd probably uh, – I don't – honestly – that might not be a job that he would take. You know, 10 years ago, obviously, it would be a job that he would take. You think it'd be a job that Alex Crenshaw might be interested in? He's kind of like see, from Nebra- it's that area gauge the as far as Missouri is concerned. Appeal of the Nebraska job at this point. Yeah. Because when they left the Big 12, they cut off their Texas recruiting connections. God, so dumb. Dumb. So Very short-sighted. Now, basically, they're Iowa light. Yeah. It's it's- basically what Nebraska is. It's like, oh yeah, we'll still be able to recruit Texas when we're not playing there ever, and we're we're gonna get some uh, Ohio and Michigan recruits, and literally none of them uh-huh. came, so now they're no. awful. Yeah, no, God, they're just so getting dumb. you know 
these corn-fed heartland kids. And, and some California kids. They've still maintained they, some of that. They've got a few of those. I mean, but it's it's still – it's. I'm not sure where they're ranked recruiting-wise coming yeah, into this Not good. Not 20- good. Yeah, exactly. It's not – you know, they used to have so many pipelines back in the day. You know, in the 90s, sure. they had yeah. the California pipeline. They had the New Jersey pipeline. Mm-hmm. They had the Texas pipeline. Those are basically all dried up, <laughs> except yep, for like for California. Thing. That's that's but a shame. That's a shame. They deserve, shame they deserve an, better. It's an incredible fan base, and you know, it, it's not like their alumni aren't pouring resources into it. Yeah, they want to win. They're committing in every way that they can. It's just, it's hard to get See, elite recruits to come to Lincoln, Nebraska. I it respect was easier when they were in the Big Twelve and they could recruit yeah, Texas kids exactly. But, you don't really have that anymore because I feel like that relationship that rivalry with Nebraska is based on respect and not yeah. hate like it is Texas and I, and I genuinely love that idea you know of course you have the two historic coaches he- heading back to back you know Tom Osborne you had Barry Switzer shared so many stories bunch of good guys bunch of great coaches um, but I actually was looking uh, I was gifted a, a book by my mother-in-law uh, the Barry Switzer's Bootlegger's Boy book, and it was actually signed on the inside cover by Barry Switzer. So that oh, was nice. a nice that was a nice surprise. But there are rumors of things in Norman, and I mean rumors of players maybe sitting. Um, you know, nothing's been reported, of course, and and of course for the sake of these things, it doesn't seem too serious as far as like it, it sounds like two to three guys uh, may sit. It seems not significant um but as news comes trickling in throughout the week thursday friday saturday um i would say not to be surprised if you hear a couple names that are familiar but not incredibly important not suit up for the sooners this saturday um as of no as of now uh those names i maybe would feel like i'd be kind of throwing darts at a rather large a rather small dartboard um so i would rather not say names that are being suggested and floated of course but not yeah it's when a small it's pool of names like if it's something related to COVID or contact tracing of it's course yeah say the name but it's 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 certainly it's a small pool of players to to choose to to choose from that have been floating around so it's just rumors as of now nothing's substantiated at all but you know this game heading into this saturday and i'm so excited it's prime time it reminds me so much of the 2003 thing uh, when you know I was there in the 2003 game. Oklahoma won, I believe, 52 to nine, and you have again you have this three-headed monster that Oklahoma State had. You know, back then it was they had Josh Fields, they had Tatum Bell, who spent more than a cup of coffee in the NFL. You had Rashawn Woods, who was a great college receiver and then kind of burnt out in San Fran. And you know that was a it was a great trio. The OSU was seven and one, and they were they were having a really good season. Oklahoma, of course, had a great season until they met Darren Sproles and subsequently LSU. Um, but that game, I remember, that was supposed to be a tight game, and that was a game where Les Miles, the last time he came to Norman, he said, "Let her rip." Uh, I believe Sam Mays was on that team, and the Sooners subsequently just all evening whooped their ass up and down the field. Mark Bradley had a sweet reverse uh, receiver reverse touchdown pass to Mark Clayton. It was a beautiful sight. Oklahoma had a nice goal line stand. Oklahoma Oklahoma had a nice goal line stand to end the game. So Oklahoma State couldn't get that 10-point threshold. Just a complete ass whooping all day. And Oklahoma has the same opportunity this Saturday to make that statement. And so 
going into this game, we talked about our thoughts about maybe the game. Besides Oklahoma's advantage, especially on the defensive line that we've talked about plenty because, holy crap, that unit is incredible. And when they get Jalen Redmond back next year, oh, my gosh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, That's an elite unit coming back next year. But what other advantages do you think Oklahoma has in this game against the Cowboys this Saturday? I would say the psychological advantage cannot be overstated in Bedlam in general. I I think, you know, you're looking at the two head coaches for one. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you trust Mike Gundy to make the right calls in crunch time in this game? Mike Gundy tucks his shirts into his underwear. That guy's an idiot. Yes. Correct. <laughs> and also, he poops his pants in rivalry games like this. He's I Paul mean, Pierce, you know, gets carted off the floor. But it's just, it's just, you know, I, I when we were big to going game, back I to love that the mullet, though. I love the mullet. I, oh, and, I res- and I respect the guy. I, I think he's funny, you know, sometimes when he's not, you know, getting chastised for certain news outlets uh, on a golf, on, on a fishing trip. Um, you know, if they, remember that saga with Chuba Hubbard and that awkward dap me up in the video. Remember that? Gosh, that, oh, felt, God. that felt like three years ago. Oh, <laughs> like, God. Yeah. I've aged considerably since then. But yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, I, I, I agree. And what, what about, what else about Mike Gundy, the mental edge Oklahoma has? It's, yeah, it, it, well, and like you were saying, you were mentioning this 2003 game. That was the last time other than maybe the 2011 game where Oklahoma state and its fan base entered a bedlam game with sincere confidence. Can you think of any other instance like that? Basically. OU you that 2011 when I have scrubbed from my brain. Yeah. Uh, I think oh a lot of gosh. people have, but and uh, yeah, I think, you know, yeah. Less miles. He had that swagger about him. It's not a swagger that Mike Gundy possesses when he comes into a bedlam game. He coaches not to lose in the Bedlam game. Of course, games. he does that in Bedlam games. Les Miles was a little different. He would let her rip, so to speak. Of mm-hmm. course, like that's what he said at the beginning of the 2003 game. And yep. they, in fact, did not let her rip. But <laughs> Didn't go well. I'm, I'm trying to think of another time in which... Yeah, no. Uh, maybe the 2009 game where they were supposed to win and Oklahoma blanked well, them. Well, see, they came 27 in, uh, to nothing or something like that. injured Zach Robinson in that game. And so they were not very confident about that one either. I remember him uh, running to the goal line uh, in an attempt to score, and like it felt like simultaneously two to three Sooner defenders popped him because he dove for the end zone, and he got popped by like dudes like Dante Nicholson or whoever else was there, and he got popped further in the air and actually never made it to the end zone. And I think it was another goal line stand by the Sooners in that 2009 game. That that 2009 that was defense. That 07, I believe. Oh, okay, 07. That that's 07. what it was. But man, I remember thinking that was a great game. Uh, what what is your le- what is your least favorite bedlam win for the Sooners? What uh, is your 18, least favorite one? Twenty eighteen. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just because the defense was so terrible, and OU lucked out basically by Mike Gundy, you know, pooping his pants and deciding to go for two at the end there. I mean, I know people commend him for that, but if they go to overtime, OSU has a at least a fifty fifty shot of winning that mm-hmm. game. So. I feel like they definitely made the wrong call there. I think my least Hindsight's favorite one. 2020, obviously, but, you know, I think OU probably deserved to lose that game, honestly. Yeah. So, no, that's my least favorite bedlam. I hated, the, I hated the win in Norman 
Uh, I can't remember what, remember what year it was. It might have been 12 uh, when Brennan Clay broke through to, for the touchdown in overtime. But that's I like that one more than 18, just because it ended in such a flurry like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it ended fun. Comeback there. Like OSU, I mean, OU looked dead in the water for a little bit. Yeah. And came back and, you know, it was that uh, punt return by uh, Jalen Saunders. Yep. He he was everywhere in that game. We nicked a couple punt returns. Marlboro Red because he was a cowboy killer. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that, that game, I mean, there are more fond memories, I think, in that game. Yeah. Looking back on it, I mean, because of the uh, – and also you had Blake Bell on the – Oh, that was a great – Package. Yep. Getting into the end zone. Basically, his time was about to expire to send it to overtime. I mean, looking back on it, wonderful game. But oh, yeah. living living through it like oh, the yeah. Texas game this year was hell for me. This, oh, my – this te- oh, the Texas game this year is probably the worst game I've ever had for my anxiety. I would I, I would agree with that. That was the worst was feeling because you're like you're like oh it's over with five minutes left. You're like no this is lasting another hour. And it, well, and, and that tired. one was so frustrating because OU controlled the game. Yep. For the majority of the afternoon. for the entire game except four minutes. And then just kind of, and then there was the clock situation. Obviously, yeah. Oh so. God. Well, we're not going to talk about the clock situation. Mike Gun- Mike Gundy might want to talk about the clock situation when they lost to Central Michigan the other day oh, uh, yeah. the other year, but. So we talked about advantage Oklahoma has. I think I think Oklahoma also has an advantage. Uh, I know Oklahoma State's defense; they're highly touted. Uh, they're playing a lot better this year. They they have a lot more experience back for sure. But I think Oklahoma, I think Spencer Spencer Rattler is starting to really come into his own. Um, Jaden Hazelwood's back. And I don't know if Trajan Bridges is ever going to play for OU again. Jaden Hazelwood's back. You've got uh, yeah, I don't know Rambo's sure he's going to be back. You've got Drake Stoops, who's proving to be more than capable. Uh, you have Theo Weese, who's turning into a very reliable target. Uh, you've got um, Marvin who, Mims. Marvin how, Mims. Oh, how my gosh. Yeah, how, how am I forgetting Mims. Marvin Mims? <laughs> you've got him back. And then in, in addition to all the receivers that you finally now are able to put together, and hopefully Austin Stogger is able to go this weekend, uh, don't see why he wouldn't he's I mean, a little dinged from what dinged. from what i hear but I, I don't i don't know if he if he suits up or anything uh he might be doubtful who knows uh we'll find out more as the week goes on but you, then you look at the running backs and you see what you've really been missing in Ramondre stevenson you've been missing grown ass grown grown ass man football and you didn't realize it until Ramondre stevenson made his uh, you know his his entrance back into the season, and you're yeah, saying, "Oh, with Stevenson, you're seeing something that you didn't quite see a year ago. You're seeing he's almost filling the void of Kennedy Brooks with that patience in his running. Yeah, he's got a little bit gosh. of that Kennedy Brooks patience about him this year in the two two appearances. Every every person that hits him is hit with a stiff arm too, and I, oh, I absolutely yeah. love he's and the people that they they're describing him. I th- I think it was Clat at one point. The, or somebody described him as a thicker, basically fatter Marshawn Lynch. And I thought that was the funniest comparison because thinking about it, I was like, yeah, he kind of does give me this, like, this, the, this body type of a, of a Marshawn Lynch a little bit heavier. But you're not taking – and, he, and he's really important for not just running the ball, catching the ball, which he's great at too. He can split out wide. Really great at blocking, pass blocking. And Oklahoma State has had a lot of success – not, not rushing three or four, but they've had a lot of success rushing five guys or more 
in pressures and sacks. Of course, when you bring five guys or more, you're, you're, uh, you're manning up across the board. And so, I mean, Oklahoma State's had a really a lot of success. So his use as far as being a pass blocker is going to be paramount this Saturday. And I think Oklahoma, they've, they're just developing and they're coming into a rhythm really, really quickly. And we could say, oh, they played Kansas. Oh, they played Texas Tech. They also played TCU. And TCU is nothing to sleep on defensively. Offensively, I get it. They're not good. Defensively, for Oklahoma to call off the dogs in the third quarter against TCU where they could have scored over 40 again, uh, it's, that says a lot about Lincoln Riley, where this offense is headed, especially with the game played in Fort Worth and not Norman. Now, let's talk about some of the advantages that Oklahoma State does have over, over OU coming into Norman this Saturday. Oh, I mean, I would say one of the things that sticks out, I'd say position by position, I would say Oklahoma State's defensive backfield is much better than Oklahoma's defensive backfield. But Oklahoma's defensive backfield doesn't match up across the field against Oklahoma State's defensive backfield. It's True. basically OU's wide receivers and tight ends going up against Oklahoma State's defensive backfield. And I don't know that Oklahoma State's defensive backfield necessarily has an advantage over that group for OU. I mean, I think OU can definitely – Lincoln Riley can definitely put his players in positions to where they can take advantage of Oklahoma State's defense in spite of how sound it is across the board. So as far as an actual particular matchup where Oklahoma State would have a huge advantage, as well as Oklahoma's offensive line is playing right now, I'm not really seeing an individual matchup where they can really hmm. hinder Oklahoma at this point. I mean, I think they would definitely make things difficult for Oklahoma's offense. Yeah. They're so solid at every position, every level of the defense, but – I don't see this glaring mismatch that really favors Oklahoma State in the way that Oklahoma's defensive line against Oklahoma State's offensive line does in favor of Oklahoma. Yeah, and that's one of the he things that, like that for Oklahoma State. That's one of the things that Joel mentioned, and that's one of the things that I keep on coming back to is, you know, it's really a battle of which defensive line seems to be most productive and better for on the night. And uh, I feel like Oklahoma's defensive line is going to get home a lot more than Oklahoma State's defensive line. I think Oklahoma's offensive line may have a little bit of trouble up front in the beginning of the game, especially if maybe there are a couple holdouts on the offensive line as the week goes on. And But I, I feel like I trust Oklahoma's depth a lot more than I do trust Oklahoma State's depth. And I trust Oklahoma. That's recruiting right there. I mean. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Oklahoma, you know, they have guys like Anton Harrison waiting to play. Uh, Andrew Rame, who's a true freshman that's incredibly – uh, you know, his his floor is much higher than a lot of other players. That's why you're seeing EJ Indoma Ogar, you know, he he's leaving. Uh, you've got Bray Walker, who's still a mammoth of a human being. And you've got, you know, Chris Murray. There's so many guys you can choose on that offensive line. And Oklahoma State, I feel like, you know, they're going to force Oklahoma to make decisions. And I think Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, with the weapons Oklahoma has on offense, are far more suited to play it safe, play a clean game, then maybe Spencer Sanders in Mike Gundy's offense and that what they're going to throw on the field this Saturday, especially in Norman where, I mean, it, it should be an exciting game. Absolutely. And so looking at this game from an offensive and a defensive perspective, uh, looking through the eyes of maybe Lincoln Riley or Alex Grinch, if you're Oklahoma, what are your keys to the game? What are your three things that you must execute in order to come away with the W after this weekend? One of the big things I would say is pass protection for Oklahoma's offensive line. 
like you mentioned, I mean, they might have a guy or two out along the offensive line. Not necessarily something that would be a deal breaker, but Oklahoma State's pass rush is fantastic. And, but if Rattler can have a relatively clean pocket for most of the day and he isn't forced into some of his big errors, I think Oklahoma's offense is going to be able to do enough to sort of separate in this game and maybe you know win by double digits in this one. Mm-hmm maybe by two touchdowns or something like that. I'd say that's probably the X factor in this game because I do think Oklahoma's front seven is going to play well. I do think they're going to play well enough as well to sort of mitigate the issues that are in Oklahoma's back end. I feel like they're going to create enough pressure for Spencer Sanders to to the point that they can sort of mask up the deficiencies of the defensive backfield, which is still not a perfect unit. It's getting better, but it's still not a perfect unit. So I would say the biggest thing, yeah, is on when Oklahoma's on offense, pass protecting for Spencer Rattler. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, looking for me, uh, I'm looking at, gosh, I'm looking at Spencer Rattler, not necessarily to have a clean pocket, uh, but to just play a turnover-free game. If, if, the, if there's nothing there, don't throw it across your body. Just take the sack, throw the ball away, uh, slide on the ground, do what it takes to stay healthy because he's the driver of this game. Oklahoma cannot win this game without a Spencer Rattler. So that's one of the first ones. But then I look at I look at other things. For example, you need to contain the big play. Oklahoma, really, honestly, with the exception of Kansas State, after whatever the hell happened with Deuce, whatever his name is, uh, with when he, they kept on passing the ball in five wide situations and Oklahoma went up, suddenly was – you know, they were winning 21 by three touchdowns and all said and lost. And then all the stuff with Charlie Kolar and Brock Purdy up in, in, in Iowa, with the exception of those two games, Oklahoma's really been able to keep a lid on the big plays on defense. And so, of course, I would say two main keys um, are, A, Spencer Rattler needs to play smart, throw the ball away. Don't, do, don't give away turnovers. Don't give away easy turnovers. Spencer Rattler is uh, not as turnover prone as Spencer Sanders, it seems to be, especially as of late. He's been using his checkdowns a lot more often, playing a lot more smart. And, of course, limiting the big play. Uh, Oklahoma's run defense has been stout. Their defensive line getting after the quarterback in general has been stout. And so if Oklahoma's defensive line, Ronnie Perkins, Nick Benito, LaRon Stokes, Perry Winfrey can get after Spencer Sanders and make him run around for things, especially with linebackers like David Aguebu, uh, Deshaun White, Shane Witter, Brian Asamoa, you're looking for trouble. You're looking for trouble. So I think those are two major keys for Oklahoma this, this weekend. So, I mean, how do you see this game really playing out, though? I see Oklahoma doing enough with its pass rush to really fluster Spencer Sanders into some turnovers, create a little bit of momentum, I think Oklahoma State's defense is going to do give Oklahoma's offense enough trouble to where they don't reach the 40s in point total. But I do think Oklahoma will probably at least reach the mid-30s just because of the plays that its defense makes, putting its offense in good situations. I think you'll probably see – if we're going to go for like a score prediction right now, mm-hmm. I'm going to go Oklahoma 38 – Oklahoma State, 
24. Don't, How about okay. that? I was about to say, don't take my score. Don't take my score. <laughs> yeah, playing out, I, I see Oklahoma taking some shots. I see Tylen Wallace coming up big a couple times. I see Spencer Sanders looking like a real big deal a couple times, especially he's out of He's really, really, he's really, good. really talented. He's talented, but he, I mean, he just You put him in a Lincoln-Riley offense, and he's going to yeah. light it up, yep. I think. For sure, for sure. And so I think he gets outside the pocket. I think he makes a, a few pretty – nice runs he's not as talented as a runner as sam ellinger but i think he makes a few nice runs and i think he makes some really nice throws outside of the pocket but i think oklahoma's defensive line may rule the day and i think they may dictate the pace of what that offensive line and that what the offense can do especially if oklahoma is able to get them into maybe second and third and longs uh, because it seems like the run game in oklahoma state is not as solid as they want it to be especially going up against a unit where they've been really snuffing out the run all year. Nobody has bullied OU in the run game at all. People can say, oh, we lost K-State, but K-State only started actually scoring once they abandoned the run game and went five wide. In Oklahoma, that's when they they haven't been bullied. Oklahoma has not been bullied this year. They've been really stout in the trenches. And so Oklahoma, I see them putting a safety over the top of Tylen Wallace and seeing what Dylan Stoner can do. Uh, I'm I'm really curious how that's going to work out. Um, I see, I see Ramondre Stevenson maybe having a good day. I see one of the five-star receivers having a good day and I see Marvin Mims making a couple of really special plays. Um, and so I'm going to say the score is going to be close one though. Uh, I like, I, it's going to live up to the bedlam hype. There's just not going to be as many fans there as we would usually have. I'll say it goes 38 to 35. Um, I'm Sooners, but my confidence level uh, if it was on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being incredibly confident, I go about a 6, 6.5. Uh, anything can happen in Bedlam. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to a damn fine game this Saturday. Uh, how, how, are you, how are you watching this game? How are you posting up? What are you going to drink? What are you going to eat? Ooh, probably going to have I'm, – I'm kind of trying to go back on the keto train a little bit, mm-hmm. so I might go with a little vodka soda action here and maybe – a little bit of I'm trying to think of what I'm going to eat I'm not sure I haven't game planned that far in advance yet so you know I'll probably have Archie by my side right here here I'm bringing him into the broadcast here all right there he is is he wearing a what is he what is he is that like a little coat he was fixed yesterday this is his little donut he's wearing a donut instead of a cone that's adorable it is adorable it looks like it looks like a, a headrest for airplane. Exactly. Yeah, he looks like a dad on an airplane. But um, yeah, he's. I think Archie's gonna pick. Archie's only six months old, and he doesn't know that there aren't ties in college football. So he's gonna pick a thirty-eight, thirty-eight tie. Yeah. Just because, just to sort of appease his mom, because his mom is an Oklahoma State. Alum. Oh gosh. So That's he's rough. gonna pick a tie, even though ties don't exist. That's just kind of how Archie rolls. But Archie, I'm going to put you back here on your bed, let you go back to sleep. So anyway, Archie is on record for 38-38. That sounds that sounds like a great score from a good boy, but good say, boy, debatable. But what, what do you what do you say we get out of here and enjoy the hell of a game on Saturday? Hell yeah! All right, man. Well, hey, everybody, go follow us on CrimsonandCreamMachine.com. Everything's brought to you guys by SB Nation. Uh, you guys can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow Jack on either of the accounts, status personal account, J. Larry Shields, or at CC Machine, the main account, where I'll be tweeting on a Saturday as well, uh, where you can like or not like my crappy tweets. I'm at Kamerabian, CCM. 
You can follow at Alan Kenny at, at Blatant Homerism and Stephen Brown, who is currently quarantining at OUUpdateSB. Guys, we're on iTunes and Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. We really appreciate if you leave a five-star review. And thank you to everybody that's left really positive reviews lately. Thank you to all of you guys. And if this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button. But we appreciate all of you guys for listening. Here's to a hopeful and a great bedlam game this Saturday, and we'll check you guys later.